Thank you for tuning in to the Maximum Advisor podcast. If you're a growth-minded financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, you're in the right place. Your host, Chip Munn, brings tips and best practices based on his experiences and has guests from financial advisors to industry experts sharing wisdom with one another because we're better together. And now, Chip Munn. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I am joined by John Chidwick. John is one of my partners at Signature Wealth, and uh, so John, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Chip. I'm really happy to be here, and thank you for asking me to do this today. Absolutely excited. You've had a, a really varied career, and one of the, the folks that I think just has had a, a fascinating kind of trajectory to end up being an advisor uh, in our business today. Uh, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about how you got here, John. A varied career. I started my career in 1992 in sales. Um, I got into the financial services industry in 1998 um, after selling door to door and getting tired of, of the cold calling. I got into financial services and got lucky enough to land on the, the wholesale distribution side with the Hartford Group. One of the best things I ever did was join them and, and, and work for them for quite a while. Uh, did well with the Hartford Group and, and, and well enough to, to move on to as divisional manager for Lincoln Financial in 2007 and worked up from a divisional sales manager, national sales manager, and then uh, head of fixed sales lastly um, at Lincoln. And the more I moved up and, and the more that I was promoted, the more I was not home uh, and having to get on planes and travel my kids were getting older, and therefore I decided to, uh, my partner, Trip Thompson, who was doing the same thing and his kids around the same age, decided to uh, partner uh, after calling on advisors for uh, about you know a long time, 15 plus years. We always talked about opening up our own practice and getting off the road and, and giving back to the community and open up our own shop. So we decided to do that in 2015, and uh, you and I connected uh, a couple years back uh, as we transitioned from uh, Triad Advisors to Raymond James. Instead of going independent on our own, uh, we partnered together uh, with you, Chip, as you know, and uh, here we are today on this call. It's awesome. Now, you said you started your career in sales and then skip to the financial services. But if I remember right, you spent a little time doing some sales in the World Trade Center. Am I right? Yep, yep, yep. My uh, my first uh, job uh, out of college was uh, going door to door, selling long distance services for all net communications. You know, I, I did that for, for a couple of years and we started out, my first territory was down in the financial district and, and we would just hit a building and go to the top and and go door to door selling, hitting as many as we could because you knew that it was a ratio uh, where you had to hit 30 or 40 or 50 doors in the beginning in order to get one sale. Uh, but the sales were were lucrative and, and all you needed was one or two deals a day and, and you get better and better and better at it. Then you can start getting referrals and narrow that down to five or 10 calls a day. But in the beginning, it was quite treacherous. And, and uh, you know, I, I would have people travel with me and they would they would watch for the first half of the day and uh, they'd be, be traveling to see if they could do it. And at lunchtime, I'd turn it over to them and I'd say about 50% of the folks that, that watched for, for four hours um, didn't want to even knock on their first door. So it was, a, it was a pretty brutal environment in New York City, but to say the least, uh, probably one of the best things that I could have done. 
Well, it's interesting. One of, one of the questions that I get a lot, and, and in fact, we've had it come up in our Facebook group, is the adversity or the mental game of, of dealing with rejection. And I, I know that you you taught advisors, I'm sure, when you were the head of the various sales organizations. But I got to think that you you learned a lot about dealing with rejection right there Selling phone plans in the middle of New York City had to be tough. What What did you learn, John, from that experience about sales? Well, uh, you, you can't take things personal, that's for sure, because when <laughs> when you uh, you know when you start getting screamed at as soon as the door is open, you, you can't take it personal. You you need to you know just figure out a way that you can get across to the person that you're trying to get in front of and and and, and let them know that you're there to help them and not wreck their day. And sometimes they they let you into let them show you how you can help and, and you get the deal. So I just learned, you know, to be patient and to continue to hit hit the next door. I remember my first day, I was going to quit uh, in the middle of the day and I picked up the phone, a pay phone, of course, because we didn't have cell phones. And I called my father and told him I didn't go to college to, to do this, to get screamed at all day long. And he said, son, I don't know why you're calling me. He said, hang the phone up and, and go hit some more doors. That's your job. I don't, you got to pay some bills. You know, I did that and somehow I, I got a couple of sales that day from it and and never you know stopped from that moment forward and you know life is a lot easier today you know patience and building your business and, and building my my company for for ourselves for the long run and and for possibly my family uh, is completely different than trying to get a, a deal or two a day this is all everything we're doing now is for the next five years or or, or 10 or 20. Well, I, I know that for me, you know, I got my first job. I, I ended up in financial services as a sales job. And one of the first things that they taught us was cold calling. And, and it was back during the who wanted to be in a situation where your job was to call people during dinner and talk to them about municipal bond funds. Uh, probably the, the one thing that saved me back then was the fact that my alternative was going back to 25, 12-year-olds and being a school teacher. And so cold calling seemed seemed good in comparison. One of the things that I remember from my experience with that is you just hang up the phone and do the next one. And and it's it's hard, but it, it's one of those things that it does it definitely does get easier over time. And I read a book not long ago called uh, Oh, uh, I'll have to remember it, but uh, we'll post it uh, in the Facebook group. Uh, actually, I think I've spoken about that, but it's the alter ego. Uh, effect, I think is what it's called. And it, it was about kind of putting on the armor or a facade uh, or, or having this uh, other person who it, it's not you making the calls and getting rejected. It's this alter ego that you create who has some of the skills or some of the characteristics that you wish you had for that particular job. And, and I think that there's a lot to be said for you know, using tactics like that, honestly, to help us not take it personally. I know that one of the things that I felt like, John, might benefit our listeners is you, know, you spent a lot of time as a wholesaler. And, and of course, we have folks who come through on a regular basis who want to be able to you know, show us their different products or vehicles. And one of the things that I have always wondered is you know, how I might do better at making the most of those relationships. They're pretty smart people. I mean, you know, they are constantly trained, have to keep up with what's going on. In your experience as a wholesaler, what, what are some things that advisors can do to make the most of that relationship? You know, I, I, 
I was obviously on that side for a long time and, and being on this side now is, is very new to me. And it does, you know, the one thing that, that for sure gets in the way is that time, you know, just like co-call and, 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 and coming into people's offices, the same thing, you know, when wholesaler calls or, or wholesalers coming in, we got 10,000 different things that we got to do that were our priorities as well as meeting with the wholesaler. But one thing I think that Trip and I have done is uh, partnered with, you know, out of the gate uh, from being on that side for a long time, uh, several different companies, but also, you know, working for Lincoln or the Hartford, you've got many, many, many different, you know, money managers. So we worked with all the different money managers and been to the back offices and whatnot. So we've, we kind of narrowed it down to, you know, four or five mutual fund money managers that were that we're working with and and two to three to four uh, insurance products. And when I say partner, I mean, you know, become, you know, most of the people we're friends with or become friends with and set up, you know, things that you can do together where they can help out, not only with product because they wouldn't be in the three or four or five, you know, top uh, carriers that we're using if the products themselves didn't vet it out. So first and foremost, the product's got to be good, solid so that we don't ever have to apologize. The wholesaler needs to be honest up front and tell us, um, you know, where do they fit and where don't they fit? Those are the two questions I ask every time. Tell me where you guys are good. Tell me where you don't fit. What am I missing? Are there any, you know, gotchas here? And you can tell right away. As, as they tell you, you know, where they fit and where they don't fit. But we do, uh, you know, a, a baseball game where we have some people help out with. We do seminars where we have wholesalers come in and help us with those. And then we do sales, uh, you know, working with the team and the group in several offices now that we have. We've done a few sales meetings um, where we've had wholesalers come in and, you know, they get their opportunity to talk to us and, and, and tell us where they fit and where they don't. Uh, and we also get get support from them and get to know them better on a personal basis because, you know, this isn't about the next six months, 12 months, it's about the next five years. And, and you'll see who's, who's in it for the long run and who's not. And so we've, I think, done a good job of not utilizing or, or wasting anyone's time. You know, we're, we're working with those that we do sit with. If I'm not, I, I, I typically will do a, a conference call and not schedule a meeting and have them get on the phone and give me 15, 20 minutes of where they fit, where they don't fit. And a few times that, that, that has changed my, you know, uh, stance with certain areas of the business. And then we've, partnered with them as well. So that's about where we stand on that. Well, one of the things that I'm always impressed by is that the folks who come into our office are, they're really well-versed, like you said, on what the kind of niche of of their product, you know, where they might fit, where they might be able to help. And I've also, I've learned a lot of things from wholesalers about how we can go in and, and look for opportunities for our clients within our book of business. And so it is, you know, I'm just always impressed with, with the educational component uh, of their of their role. One of the things, and I'd be curious to know if you saw this, it seems to me like in talking with some of the wholesalers that call on us, one of the benefits of, of developing that relationship with a wholesaler is, for me, it seems like they seem to see bigger trends, what's going on in other offices, in other markets, that you know, having that relationship with them can help me benefit from understanding some of the things that they're seeing that I don't have the ability to, to be out there and see. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. And, and, you know, you, it's just the, the numbers of, of advisors that they're seeing three, four, five, twenty, uh, with large group meetings and whatnot that they're talking to and seeing 
that are calling them on a daily basis, as well as collaborating with with other wholesalers around the country that are doing the same thing to be able to you know get some of those ideas that are working and, and trends. The back offices at, at at all the larger firms do a phenomenal job of of creating opportunities and and looking at where the where the puck is going, not where the puck is to position themselves so they can walk in and give you ideas. I mean, if 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 they're not coming in and and giving good ideas and providing value, then they're not going to continue to 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 rise up in the firms that they're at. So, you know, the best wholesalers are, are going to be on their game and they're going to be able to provide value every time that you talk to them. And they shouldn't call if, if they're not. For sure. And you never know. I, I made a note in preparation for our discussion that y- you never know when that relationship blossoms into we've had multiple wholesalers become clients because, you know, job changes from from one company to another. They had rollover opportunities and we had a relationship. And then our relationship, yours and mine, began uh, via our partner, Trip Thompson. And Trip used to be a wholesaler that called on us. And so when you guys bought a practice, it was a natural fit. So I'm a big fan of not burning bridges. One of the biggest things that ever happened was, uh, you know, we we probably wouldn't be here today uh, on this call if it wasn't for a wholesaler that introduced us to our partner in Charlotte, um, where they had a relationship for 20 years. And uh, the the advisor at the time, who was licensed the year I was born, was uh, getting to the point where he needed a backup plan and, and wanted to pursue retirement. And a wholesaler connected us because he knew that Trip and I were were looking for exactly that, an expansion in, in the Charlotte area. And he connected us and set the meeting up. And we ended up, you know, partnering, and uh, now it's years later, and that's why we we joined Raymond James. Was the practice was was too big for the current situation that we were in. We we felt like we needed a, a bigger firm to be able to support the amount of business that we had. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I felt like that was an important <laughs> piece, which, which was huge for us. And and I I need to reach out to more wholesalers uh, on those on those type of opportunities. Well, and it's it's just important, I think, because I'm I'm guilty of. Uh, in a lot of cases, wanting to kind of hide back in my office and, and just work rather than going to some of the meetings. It's important to remember that after you've met somebody, it's developing that relationship. You, you know right off whether or not you're going to hit it off with a client. The same is true with a wholesaler, I think. You just kind of get along and then invest in some time in the relationship component, not just worrying about you know, what their their particular product has to offer, but then also, you know, building on that relationship because you just never know what might work out. Again, I mean, that's how we ultimately got together in addition to one wholesaler introducing you to, to your partner there in Charlotte, you know, Trip having been our wholesaler brought us together. And so one of the questions that I've had, I guess, from younger advisors is really kind of getting into the the difficulty of really that that relationship and and how to avoid yeah making mistakes when it comes to building relationships with reps uh, and and wholesalers how is it john what what are some of the mistakes that you've seen either that advisors made in in building relationships with wholesalers or vice versa, that, that wholesalers made building relationships with advisors? What are some areas we could look for to make sure that, that something doesn't go wrong? Well, I, I mentioned earlier that Trip and I never want to take advantage of a wholesaler. That is, you know, have them pay for events or, or pay for outings, sales meetings. We don't p- 
when I say partner, I mean, it's a two-way street. It's both, both the advisor and the wholesaler need to be given into the relationships for it to work. I, I've you know, seen many times where people you know, pay for something or do something or get asked to do something and, and, and in return, they're figuring that they'll get an opportunity to you know, present where their product might fit or might be a solution. You know, and then not get anything in return. And I, and I do think and do truly believe that it does need to be a two-way street and go both ways. So you never want to take advantage of somebody's uh, budget so that you can have something you know paid for without uh, giving the opportunity to give something back in return. Uh, I just don't think that's very fair to do. So I've seen that happen. Uh, that's one of the bigger bigger things. When we first got started, we would do seminars and and we always had folks who wanted to, like you say, hey, I've got a budget, let me help you. But I learned early on, we had a group that that worked in the same office as, as Scott and me back then, and they would take anybody's money. You know, they would say, oh, I think that we can, you know, they, they let that be the driver. Who has a budget who can help and we'll throw them some business. Or in some cases, they would pr- make promises that we're going to do this. And and then they weren't, didn't really intend to do business with those folks. And I, I think that, thankfully, I think the industry has drifted away from that. But there was definitely a, a time when I saw people taking advantage of that. The other thing that I've seen, John, is advisors who, who buy the wholesaler and not the product. They develop that relationship so quickly that they just want to work with that that person. You know, it's the old if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. Where you know, all of a sudden, that's the only product that they recommend, and and I call that kind of buying the wholesaler, not the product. Oh, absolutely. And and you know, the three P's that I wrote down earlier was partnership, product, and performance. You know, the partnership comes first, where you where you you know, you hit it off and you come up to an agreement, but then the product also has to has to have a good reputation. It has to do what we say it's going to do and, and, and never have to apologize for it. And then, and then everything has an investment piece to it that has to perform as well. And that's what, you know, being informative and figuring out where, where the best fits are, what works, what doesn't work. You know, you got to have that conversation so that, that you're not trying to put in a square peg in a round hole to just try and fill something. And, and, and nothing should ever be done for that reason, because somebody's you know supporting something or paying for something. It's got to be the right fit for the client 100%. And that's why we narrow it down. I mean, if we're missing something, then I'll give somebody an opportunity to get on the phone and tell me that I'm missing something. But if, I, if I'm not, and I ask the questions that way, I've, I've rarely felt like I was doing, you know, I feel like I'm doing the right thing again as a fiduciary for our clients, that I'm doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. And a lot of our business is, is fee-based, the majority of it. So a lot of it is asset-based and, and we get the we get all the support that we need. And then some on that side, I, I feel like it's working great on our side. Well, I think that, you know, the other one other issue I've seen is, and I mentioned that I'm guilty of it, is just blowing them off. And, and I think that we can pretty easily... Uh, hey, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that, Chip. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that ultimately, right? You're missing out on opportunities to to learn. If, however, you you certainly you spend some time with somebody and and they aren't being as respectful of your time as you feel like they should be, you know, certainly not a situation where you have to spend a bunch of time with them. But I do think it's important. You know, one of the best ways that I can think of to get something out of the relationship and to maximize that is to put the time in, you know, find folks that, that you trust folks that you're comfortable with who have, like you said, products and performance. 
And and the surest way to get something out of those relationships, it's a little bit like an ATM. You can't take things out that you hadn't put in. And, And I think we have to be willing to put into those relationships. You know what, though? I, I think that a good wholesaler is going to have the reputation and back it up with you know, being able to provide value when they come in that you're not going to blow that guy off. And if you do blow that person off, he's going to let you know because he demands the respect. And that's, that's where experience versus inexperience of, of, of somebody you know, will, will, will come out. And either, either they'll figure out how to get in front of you and how to provide value. So you know, it, it goes both ways, right? There's, there's good wholesalers, bad wholesalers, good advisors, bad advisors. And um, you, know, you just want to latch up with the right ones. Absolutely. Well, John, one of the other things that you had some experience with that that I didn't is, you know, I came over from a a regional broker dealer. So while it was smaller than uh, our current broker dealer, Raymond James, it was it was I wouldn't consider it to be small by any means. They had, you know, 400 advisors or so. You came from a place that was even smaller than that. What was that transition like for you? You know, it, it was it was very uh, it was it, it's been awesome since the day we got here to Raymond James. So, for us, and especially Trip and I calling on the firms and the back offices and whatnot for for many years, we we kind of knew what we were looking for when we first started and felt like we weren't getting it from a technology standpoint, from a research standpoint, from aggregating statements, uh, looking proper the way that they should. Just you know, all the things that we they, I think. People that are at bigger firms kind of take for granted if you're at a Wells Fargo or a, or a Merrill Lynch or any of the larger firms are going to have platforms that, that have all that. And if you're with a smaller BD, in some cases, you, you, you don't. And I'm not picking on, on where we came from. But since we got to Raymond James, it's been, it's been you know, completely different. And we feel like we get great support uh, across the board from the research, the technology, the, the trust services, the, uh, the back office um, has, been, has been great. And it's, it's, it saved us a lot of time. By joining with you guys as well, it's helped because it's a lot of the things that we were trying to figure out, we now do as part of a group where we get help from, from Raymond James, but we're, we're doing, you know, with Bobby's uh, expertise on the marketing side and mailings and, and all that kind of stuff and the benefits and 401k that we've put together and payroll and um, all that stuff. When you're on your own as an independent, you know, you're spending more time trying to figure out things that already should have been figured out and not spending time bringing on, you know, new money and new assets. Um, and when the, when the onboarding takes place, you want to make sure that when the money hits, that everything looks right uh, from a statement standpoint and from a reporting standpoint, and that you have the platform to be able to execute on the trading and and whatnot to be able to handle a larger practice. And so as we got bigger, it was you know very uh, it was something that we definitely needed when we got up over 500 households and and the asset size that we had, and it couldn't have come at a better time when we did it, and as well as you know joining the group and and, and starting to figure things out so that we could help each other. Well, what would you say, John, is the biggest difference between kind of that, uh, and I would uh, venture to say kind of ultra small broker dealer environment and now one that is, and again, whether it was Raymond James or if it had been another independent broker dealer, what would you say in your experience is the biggest difference between being part of that really small group and, and now being part of a much larger organization? Uh, hands down, it's technology. You know, no, no doubt about it. It's, it's, and technology spreads to you know a lot of things from the day-to-day ability to do business for clients, and 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 also the 
the technology that backs up everything that generates the reports and the reporting and the you know statements and and all that stuff. And integrating the Money Guide Pro into it, so the, the the plan is done. We start with the plan, and then we build around the, you know where people are trying to go with the goals that they're trying to achieve, and and then the investments come behind it. But that's all integrated and it's all together, so you're not having to you know aggregate and try and get things to connect. It's all it's all there, so you don't even think about it. It's just part of the the platform. Well, I, you said something earlier that struck me is that you know you noticed things in the smaller operation that you feel like other people maybe at, at bigger shops take for granted, and you know I can remember for me independence was always something that was on the horizon. I, I knew that we wanted to be able to build something, but the transition to independence alone when we did it back in 2016, you realize all the things that you take for granted because then at the time when we, because we were the first one to come before we met and partnered up, you, you all of a sudden had all of this freedom and you realize why uh, grocery stores only put a certain number of a particular kind of item on the shelf because all of a sudden you get the overwhelm of all these things. You've got all these different choices. You have things that, yeah, I say all the time, there's a big difference between signing the front of a paycheck and signing the back of a paycheck. And, and being independent was way different than just running a branch P&L. And so, you know, it, it it really exposed to me some of the things that we took for granted that we've had to go back and over time, you know, rebuild. But it's important, I think, to just to point out how as important or or as important to me, I guess, uh, the freedom and flexibility of independence was. It was a baptism by fire there for a while, and it was hard. And that's one of the reasons that we started Signature was to be able to uh, help other folks to be able to not have to deal with those things because advisors are meant to be able to go out and spend their time making prospects into clients and taking care of of all of those folks. And, And even for me, one of the biggest improvements for me personally has been adding uh, somebody in a, a, an operations role. Barry Dedge has been on the show a couple of times to handle those things. So I could get back to being an advisor. And, and so it is, uh, it's good to hear you say that because I, I do think sometimes we can take things for granted. It's, it doesn't mean that in independence, we can't have them, but I do think it, it means that we have to be wise in who we partner with and do our due diligence. And so that's been an important component for me. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And it can be a an interesting, we'll say, situation and awakening when you get to the other side and and you start to learn those things. And you might not even know what you what you're gonna need later on. I mean, I say that with uh, legal, with Gary helping us out with legal. You know, my internal partnership with Trip and how things have changed and evolved with with our businesses and having multiple locations and structuring things and you know having him to be able to go to instead of having to hire outside counsel you know, has, has saved us money. You know, P&Ls having to hire a bookkeeper versus having Tracy who helps us now put everything together and gets it direct feeds from Raymond James. And you're working with one person that knows the systems as opposed to having to pay, you know, again, uh, all the extra things add up and having these resources through the group has been uh, a big help for us. But also it wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have worked if we weren't with Raymond James either. 
Well, I, I think we may have scared some folks out of the idea of independence, and that definitely wasn't my my intention. So it, it's a, you know, for us, I think where both of us would be coming from is, you know, pay attention, do the due diligence. And, and I'll say as part of that, uh, if you have a question, if you're an advisor who's considering independence, regardless of who the broker dealer would be, if you have a question, either hit us up in the Facebook group or send me a, an email, chip at signaturewealth.com. And we're happy to uh, just to answer questions, to be a resource. The whole point of uh, Maximum Advisor is to be able to make sure that we are better together. And so, John, one of the things that I like to do, we're an action-oriented podcast, and so I like to try to leave our listeners with something that they can go out and do today to make their practice better. Can you give me a, do you have a one thing they could do? Uh, you know, one thing that I'm working on right now is one thing that, that everyone can do is, is start planning now for next year because December will be here before we know it. And we're already scheduling our, blocking our dates and blocking our times and who's going to support us and who we're going to invite um, and what the, you know, the marketing plan looks like. And, and so start planning out your marketing uh, agenda for which baseball games you're going to do for client events, what seminars you're going to do at which country club. And, and that's how we're, we're laying out already 2020. Literally just got an email today confirming that those locations and dates and now start lining it up so we can get ahead of it and, uh, and, and be able to do our day-to-day stuff as it, as it happens next year. And, you know, so I would say just plan ahead for next year would be a, a good action step right now. Lay out your marketing plan. I think that's an awesome idea. You know, Cicero said, dig your well before you're thirsty. So I, I think that your advice is is spot on. It, it's also the same kind of advice that we would give our clients, which is that, you know, the best time to invest was 20 years ago. You know, the next best time is today. And so I think for us and our businesses, planning is uh, is definitely something that we can jump right on in an effort to uh, to dig our well before we're thirsty and to be ready to uh to go out and and kill it in 2020. John, thank you for spending time with us. Uh, It's great having you on the show. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great day. You too. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.